All right, settle down. That's enough. So I'm, I'm going to read to you from uh, the third chapter of Ephesians. This is the same uh, lesson that uh, Johnny was talking through last week. He's going to go through the second half this week, but we'll read the whole thing. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of man in other generations, as it has now been revealed to this holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all fullness of God. Thank you, Emery. This is the word of God. If you can't tell, I hope you can tell, we like the Bible at Shalford. We think uh, it's kind of the only thing we got. And I joke with with Jay, with Emery, uh, after Matthew a few weeks ago was up here playing guitar on the worship team. uh, And I say, I I really got one thing and I I can talk about that book. And that's all I got. I don't, I don't have a business degree that I can kind of help with fi- like the finances. Like I'm new in that. I've got no musical talent. I've got one thing, that. That's all I got. So, and if you guys can teach it better, then, then I'm going to sit right down there and let you guys do it. And I'm excited to do that when Al's here very often. But, uh, but we've got the Bible. And so that's why if you're like, man, we've read a lot of scripture this morning. Good. We need it because all of the Bible is good to encourage us and point us to Jesus, who is our only hope. So this morning, we're going to finish up the second part of what we looked at last week was one of Paul's prayers in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. It's all one sentence, but it's got two main prayers. And the first one, they're both for strength. The first one, he's praying, I pray that you'd have strength so that Christ could make his home in your heart. We talked about that last week. And this week, the second request picks up in the second part of verse 17. And it says that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
that this second request is all about love. And so uh, I was going to preach all of this in one sermon last week, and last minute I decided, you know what, let's make this two. And part of that was strategic for time. Part of that was also I really struggled to feel like I understand God's love in my heart. I mean, I, hear me, like I grew up in church, and like I know God loves you, I know that God loves me. I know John three sixteen, like for God so loved the world. Like I understand that. I understand God's love is pretty central to what anybody in the whole world is gonna think of when you say like, do you know God? Or if they have a problem with God, one of the first things you're gonna say is like, I thought God was love, right? So like I get that up here, but in my heart, I struggled this week to figure out, okay, God, <laughs> what are you doing? This isn't just a, a formula to memorize. This isn't just some fact to go like, okay, file that away. Paul is praying that we would be able to comprehend his love, that we would know his love that surpasses knowledge. And so I, I struggled this week with this text, just to be really frank with you. And I told Gary, this may be the, the sermon this is most true of, that I'm preaching something that I'm still learning. I mean, I, mean, I feel like this is true more than anything else I've ever preached. Because I feel like I'm still trying to grasp the love of God. And I guess that's kind of good because that's what he's praying for in this passage. And so that first phrase that he says, he, he's going in the second part of verse 17, he says that you being rooted and grounded in love. He starts this before he even gets to the actual prayer request. He is already starting on this theme of love and he's reminding them you've been rooted and you've been grounded in love. And both of those words, rooted is, is kind of a, a garden word and grounded is kind of an architectural building word. He's saying, I'm, I'm praying that, you know, you, your roots are in love and you, you, the building of your life, the foundation of the whole thing is love. This whole, this whole Christian life started for you in love. You, you, the ones who are rooted and grounded in love. And then look what he prays, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's a fun little task there, to know something that surpasses our knowledge. What in the world is Paul talking about? How can we know something that surpasses our knowledge? And I, I thought of a couple, couple examples. One is people. <clears throat> One is people. Th think about the people you think you know. Think about the people you know better than others. Think about your favorite musicians or your favorite athletes. The Atlanta Braves are good. I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. And I can act to carry in my kids like I know Freddie Freeman or Ronald Acuna Jr. or Ozzy Out. I mean, I, I've got friends who know Dansby Swanson. If you know, he grew up in Marietta as a Braves shortstop. So I'm be like, yeah, man, Dansby, and he's doing this. And you know, I don't know any of those people. I know their statistics. I know their value for the team. I know of them, I don't know them. I'm not a friend of theirs. The other example though is food, right? It's food. Like you can know what food is, but knowing the taste of food and knowing the molecular makeup of food is very different. And for some reason, every time we talk about this, we act like honey is the best example, but, but I'm squashing that once for all. Cheese dip is the best example. <laughs> I, I mean, cheese dip is that like you can know, you're like, it's cheese. What else is there to know? It, come on. When you get those crunchy chips, and that perfectly flowy white nectar from heaven. 
And if you get the perfect salsa with it, I mean, I'm a cheese dip purist, and so I would never taint the, the gold cheese dip with the salsa. But, I mean, if you get the right stuff, I mean, I feel like I'm going to break out like Paul and say, behold the wonders of God. I mean, there's a difference between knowing cheese and knowing cheese dip, right? I mean, there's a, a difference. And so what Paul is saying here is, I want you to know this thing that surpasses all knowledge. It's, what he's saying is this surpasses your intellectual knowledge and moves into a realm where I'm praying you know it at the experience level. I'm praying that you would know the love of God in your experience, not just in your mind. I'm praying that the love of God would be real to you, tangible to you, that you'd be able to taste it and feel it and experience it in your life. And so we're going to look at the love of God this morning. And we're going to look at four things about God's love this morning. The first thing we're going to look at is the size of his love. The size of love. Do you see how he describes it here? The breadth, the length, and height, and depth. First of all, there's so many thuths in that. It, I, I can barely read it at times. And breadth is not a, is not a word that I use very often. So, so let's just acknowledge that this, what is he doing? Why is he, like, can you measure God's love? Like, what is he, is he trying to draw a box? And what's he, he he's saying, I'm praying that you would know how limitless God's love is. He's painting a word picture that says, very similar to what we read in Psalm 103 earlier in our call to worship. As high as the heavens are above the earth. How, how high is that? How high? I mean, how high does it go? I'm not, not sure there's a measurement. I mean, you could pick a point out in space and find a measurement, but, but I'm pretty sure you could just keep going. What Paul's saying here is, I'm praying you would know how unlimited, how limitless God's love is. As high as you can imagine, as deep as you can fathom, as far to the sides. I mean, you cannot escape the limitless love of God. The size of love is limitless. The size of love is surpassing our knowledge, and that's why he's praying that we need strength to be able to comprehend it. If we could measure and put God's love into a box, we would not need strength to comprehend it. We would need information. We wouldn't need spiritual strength and power to grasp God's love. We would need a better education. But because God's love is limitless, we don't just need an education about it. We need spiritual strength so that we can grasp in our finite, broken human bodies the limitless size of God's love. So we looked at the size of God's love, but next let's look at the definition of God's love. The size of his love is limitless. What's the definition of his love? What is God? I mean, when you get down to like, what's its essence? What's the nature of God's love? First John 4, 8 says that God is love. That makes a little bit more sense as to why it's limitless, right? Because God is limitless. Because God is limitless, his love is limitless, and God is love. Now, we've got to make sure we don't get that backwards. It's not that love is God, which is the way the world would seem to act at times. We define love for ourselves and we put it in the place of God and say, you're not loving, you're not accepting, you, you don't understand what love is. And you call yourself a Christian, we, got, we can't get that formula backwards. God is love. Love finds its definition in who God is. 
So I'm going to be really frank on this next part of the sermon, really honest and upfront. We're going to talk about theology for just a second. It's not going to last long, okay? You squeeze somebody's hand and we'll get through this, okay? But we're going to talk about theology for a second. If God is love and God is unchanging and eternal, then that means God has always been love. He's never been anything less than that. Okay? And if God has always been love, then he has always been loving someone. So he is love. He's eternal and unchanging. So he's always been love. He's always been loving someone. So if you're like me, setting up a question right here. Who's he been loving? Like we're talking about always, right? And we can point to a point in history where creation happened. So we know God's love is not dependent on creation. God didn't like, it's not like love was absent from God and then he created and he said, finally, I've got all this pent up love I can give out. No, he's been giving love for all eternity. So who has God been loving before creation, before anything else existed? What in the world did God love? Here's where we're going to get to the theology portion of this. We believe in what we call the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, what we don't mean by Trinity is that there are three different gods that are all equal on three different thrones. That's not what we're saying. We believe in one God. But what we're also not saying is that we believe in one God who happens to morph himself into a father at times and morph himself into a son at times and morph himself into a spirit at times. No, no, no. We believe in three distinct persons. So it's one God in three persons. They... The church fathers thousands of years ago struggled with how in the world do we say this? And what they landed on was that God is one essence. He is God. But he is also three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so here's where this sets us up for today. Because God is love, we can see in the Trinity that God has been loving himself, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in a perfect triune love relationship for all eternity. Why does that matter for us? Because when God loves us, he's not starting something new. It's not like God observed some loveliness in us and decided, you know what, I'd like relationship. I've never had this relationship before. Let me see what this is like. Let let me date you. Let me figure you out. And let me see if I can relate to you. No, no, no. God has been in perfect relationship forever. Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect, loving relationship forever. So the definition of love goes as far back as you can fathom. Eternity past, God is love. Do you see how this is matching the limitless size of love? Within God's life, the father, what what makes a father a father? Why do we call him God the father? Because he's been loving the son. What makes a son a son? Because he's loved by the father and he loves his father in return. One of the, most influential church fathers, a man by the name of St. Augustine. Maybe you've heard of St. Augustine. Maybe you haven't. But he described the Trinity like this. In every love relationship, there's the lover, there's the beloved, and there's love itself. And he says the father is the lover, and the son is the beloved. We see that in the Gospels. He says, you're my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And the spirit is love itself. 
uniting the Father and the Son. So when Paul is praying that we would grasp, we'd have strength to grasp the limitless love of God for us. We see the vast size of God's love. We see the definition of love, that love is God himself. But then the question becomes, if if God is love, and if we're down here and we know sin separates us from God, how do we know God's love? And that leads us to our third point. We've looked at the size and the definition. Now we're going to look at the demonstration of God's love. How do we experience God's love? How do we see it? And for this, I'm going to point us to some different places in God's word. 1 John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Romans 5, verses 7 and 8 says this. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8, 31 through 39 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Last text from scripture, 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The size of God's love is limitless. Why? Because God is love. That's the definition of it. The demonstration of it is in Jesus. God demonstrates his love for us in the person and the work of Jesus. God demonstrates his love for us in the person and the work of Jesus because in Jesus, we see the single fullest picture of what God's like in the whole Bible. In one picture, we see the most things about God. Here's what I mean. First, we see God's righteousness and holiness. We see God's righteousness and holiness because sin could not just be looked over. If God was gonna love us and accept us, he couldn't just look over our sin and say, okay, let's brush that under the rug. Well, God is holy, God is righteous, and our sin had to be paid for. But also in the cross, we see God's deep love for us because he didn't make us pay for it. God's holy and righteous and punishes sin. He's wrathful and angry against sin because sin is any time we've been bent away from God, turned in on ourselves, And that must go punished. But God is incredibly gracious and kind and loving because he knows we don't have what it takes to pay that debt. And so in the cross, in the person of Jesus, we see both of these things become a reality. 
that in Jesus, he bore the full weight of the penalty of sin. That all of God's wrath and all of God's anger against sin was poured out because of us on Jesus. And in the cross, the full weight of God's anger was poured out not on us. And this is God's kindness towards us. It was poured out on Jesus, our sacrifice in our place. So it's in Jesus that God demonstrates his love for us. So when Paul's praying that you would understand the depth of his love, he reached down out of heaven to earth, beneath earth, into death. That's how deep God's love goes. And he tasted death for us. So that when we die, we don't have to stay dead. The demonstration of God's love is what he has done in Jesus. And last, we're gonna look at the gift of God's love. We see how big it is. We see how we've got to define it because God is love. He's always been love. He demonstrates it in Jesus. So, so what are we getting? <laughs> I mean, we, we've really looked at God's side of all this, but what's the gift that we get with love? When God loves us, because God is love, the true gift of love is God himself. God gives himself to us. He's crossed every barrier between us and him so that we could know him and he could know us. What does it mean that God loves you? It means that God has given himself to you and for you. It means he's crossed every barrier that kept us apart. Every willing sin, every accidental sin, every, every piece of your nature that's bent away from God, God has done the work to overcome it so that you could know him and he could know you and you could exist in perfect loving relationship forever. Wait, perfect loving relationship forever. We've heard that before, right? In the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So what happens in the Trinity? The Father has been loving the Son. So what happens with us when we become Christians? It means that just as the Father has loved the Son, the Son took our place so we could take His place. So the Father loves us and gives His Spirit to us so that we can have fellowship with Him forever. So what does it mean that God loves you? What's the gift that you get? You get God. You get God now and forever. And let's remember how unbelievable that is. God who spoke and created everything. If God sounds boring to you, you have not thought about all the intricate details of who God is because God is the perfect and original creator. God can never be boring. God dreamed this whole thing up. Like, do you love nature? God's idea. Do you love people? God's idea. Do you love music? God's idea. Cheese dip? That's right. God's idea. The gift of love is God himself. So let's go back to Paul's original prayer. Praying that you would have the strength to comprehend the limitless love of God, that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The good news of the love of God this morning is that God is for you. He's not against you. He's for you. You look at all that God is, because God loves you, he's not your enemy. 
He's your ally. He, and he's not even just your ally. He's your father. He loves you and he is for you. Because God loves you, your past is redeemed. And can I give you good news about that? Please don't equate the way God redeems your past to the way we hang people's past over our heads. That's not God. That's not the way God redeems your past. He takes your past and he wipes it clean. He takes your past and he forgives it, covers it in the blood of Jesus and says, that's paid for. Stop bringing that up. Because God loves you, your past is redeemed. Because God loves you, your future is secure. Remember who it is that loves you? The sovereign one who created everything, who's working everything for his glory. Your future is wrapped up in his future. Your future is secure, so stop worrying. Stop worrying about what you're going to end up doing. You don't have to worry about securing a future for yourself. Your future is wrapped up in who God is. Because God is now for you. You're safe in him. The Psalms constantly say, you are my refuge. That's good news. He doesn't, you, you knock on God's door. He's not ashamed and disappointed and like, yeah, go around back. God is smitten with you. He's excited to bring you in all filthy and disgusting, playing in the yard covered in mud. You smell bad and haven't had a shower in weeks. He says, come sit at the king's table right next to me. This one, mine. That's God's love. He's not waiting on you to try to go get cleaned up. He's saying, come on. No, come on. I love you. I've been trying to do this with my kids. Like They know they're going to get in trouble when they try to run away. And I'm like, you remember I love you? You remember that if, if you know that I love you, then come here. Because I just love you. That's what God's doing. He's saying, I love you. Come on, I love you. You're safe in him. Here's another good news about the way God loves you. You're fully known and fully loved. You know, that's our greatest fear. Our greatest fear is that we would be fully known because we're afraid we'd be fully known and not loved. We're afraid someone would know everything about us and then deem us unworthy of love. That's our greatest fear. That someone might know every thought, every desire, every action, every insecurity, everything about you that's insufficient and falls short. That someone would know all of that and then look at you and go, nah. But did you know God fully knows you? He knows more about you even than you know about yourself because he knows your future. He sees all the failure that's still to come in your life. He's seen all the failure that's already come. He sees all the difficulties that are in your heart right now. He sees every doubt. He sees every discouragement. He sees all your mess. There's nothing about you God doesn't know. And he loves you. There's security in that. Because that means if he loves you like that, then there's nothing you can do to lose his love. He's never going to wake up one day, open up the news app and be like, Johnny did what? Right? There's no breach of contract with God. Because this thing is a covenant commitment where he knows everything about you. He's never going to be shocked about anything about you. And he loves you. The last thing Paul says in this passage is that 
so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What does that even mean? This is a way Paul's trying to word, filled with the fullness of God. He's saying is that you would be mature, that you'd be mature in your faith, that you'd be a mature believer. So what Paul is saying is that we measure maturity by the love of God. We measure our maturity by how well you grasp and experience the love of God. Not how well you can give a six-page paper on what it is, but on how much you've experienced. Have you experienced the love of God? That is a mature person. A mature person is someone who knows how much they're loved by God and they live out of that. So I want to use a little illustration really quick from our experience in foster care. When we went through all of our foster care training, you know the biggest reason kids go into foster care it's actually not, not drugs. It's actually neglect. You know, the biggest problem with foster children is trauma. And this trauma manifests itself in so many different ways, but one of the biggest symptoms of trauma is when kids will be a certain age and they'll act drastically lower than that. So you might have a 10-year-old acting like a 4-year-old, for instance. And when you go through all of your foster care training, what you end up finding out is that at some point in their life, they weren't loved. They were neglected. They were left on their own. They had no healthy, loving relationship with a parent or anyone in authority. And it's drastically scarred them, oftentimes for life. A lack of love stunted their maturity. A lack of love stunted their maturity. Now, the beauty of that is you put them in a loving home and everything starts to change. It's not easy and it's not quick, but things start to change. They start feeling more secure. They feel like they can act themselves. They feel like they can ask questions and not be beaten for it. They, f- they feel like they can be a little picky with their food. and They don't have to try to clean their plate because they know where their next meal is going to come from. You, you put a child in a loving home and all of a sudden they start acting their age. They start maturing at a healthy rate. I don't know everyone's story here. Maybe you've come from a home where maybe you weren't in foster care, but maybe you can identify with the lack of love stunting your growth. But, but do you know what Paul is saying here? It's the same thing spiritually. You could know all the theology. You could show up here every single week. You could come to every event we have, serve on every single team, give 50% of your income away. But if you don't understand and experience the love of God for you, You have no maturity in Christ. You have no maturity in Christ. And if you don't stop and receive the love of God, it will stunt your growth. It will stunt your growth. So at Shalford, I pray that we would grow in the decades to come. I pray that we would grow outwardly first by growing inwardly. I pray we'd be bigger on the inside than we are on the outside. Because I pray that we would stop long enough to realize how big God's love is for us. And I pray that that would change everything. I pray that that would change everything for us. This is one of those hard sermons because when you get to the end and you start talking about application, you go, let God, I mean, how do you apply let God love you? That's really, really hard. Let God love you. I mean, let your walls down 
I'm not saying teach God things about you, but I'm saying come to God with your hands open and go, all right. I mean, I've been keeping God at arm's distance, but God, I need to let you love me now. I need to let your love just pour into my life and remember what God's love is. It's eternal, but it's shown in Jesus. Would you run to Jesus this morning and let God love you in the person of Jesus? The Christian life is not about how much you know. It's not about how much you do. It's about how much you realize God loves you. That is the measure of our maturity. So we're talking about making room in our hearts, right? Is there room in your heart for God's love? Or is God so many other things to you? God's a teacher. He's an educator. He's like a counselor, guide, kind of shows you how to live. Maybe he's like a taskmaster. He's like, hey, get back on track. Man, I'm going to convict. Man, I'm going to bring punishment on you if you don't act right. I mean, God's all these things to you. That's not what this passage is saying. God is love. Do you know the God of love? That's my invitation this morning for all of us, that we would come and know the God who is love and remember that it takes spiritual strength and power to grasp that love. It takes spiritual strength and power. You you can't just flip a switch. I know that. If I could have, I I maybe would have preached this last week because I would have flipped the switch enough to be able to preach it, but I couldn't. It's hard to grasp the love of God. I understand that. That's one reason I love meeting on Tuesday nights with our group to talk about this. Okay, what does this mean in my life? So I want us to bow our heads and enter into an attitude of prayer as Jay's going to come up and and sing for us one more song. And this part of the service is traditionally called an invitation because we're inviting you to respond to God's word. What does it look like when you experience God's love? I want to end with getting us to think about this in an attitude of prayer. God, what does it look like when we've experienced your love? I think it looks like finding spiritual life, God. It's realizing I've got nowhere else to go but you, and it's this expectation that you're going to move in our life. It's, it's spiritual life, not drudgery, not constant discouragement. It's finding life in you, God. And how do we know you, we've experienced your love, God? First John four nineteen, it says that we love because you first loved us. So God, love, we want love to be the measure of our maturity at Shaliford. And that begins by this prayer. God, would you strengthen us with power from your Holy Spirit so that we would be able to comprehend your love? Would you strengthen us in our hearts so that we could grasp your love for us? Would you turn our hearts to you so that we could experience your limitless love? We need your help. Thank you for showing your love for us in Jesus. Jesus, thank you for willingly living and dying 
so that you could be raised to life and offer salvation to us today. God, would you stir up our hearts so that as we experience your love, we would mature into the kinds of people who love you and love others.